About 10 or 15 years ago, um, the priest of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles went to La Quinta near Palm Springs for a three-day uh, retreat, uh, conference. Every three or four years we do this. We all gather in one place. It's the only time when all of us gather. And um, it's to grow as a, as, a, you know, as a community of priests. And so while we were there, that was when they had this big fire up in Altadena uh, about 10, 15 years ago. And it was devastating. I saw it on the news. And more than that, we, we actually were getting the smoke coming all the way to Palm Springs. So I had this aching desire in me. I had to go up there to see it, what had happened when we finished with our retreat. So Father Gilbert, who was riding with me, he and I went, drove up to Altadena. In fact, that was his parish at the time. And um, we, ran, we started up the, the mountain, the hills there, and, and this woman was taking something out of her car, and, and I, I wasn't quite knowing exactly what streets to turn down, so I, I rolled down the window. I said to her, I said, ma'am, excuse me. I said, can you tell me where the fire took place? And she said, you're in it. You're in it. She was obviously bothered because a lot of looky-loos, which I guess I was a looky-loo on that day, uh, was going up there to see it. But I just had to experience it with my own eyes. I don't know why. It was very troubling to me. Well, I think that's what Lent is like, this need to be in it, in the midst of it, and to experience um, although, as a priest, I find it a hard time to preach. It, it, it's a um, lengthy time, four weeks, and there's not a lot of scriptures to deal with that aren't repetitive. And the message just seems to be the same for four weeks, although we welcome a little more light in each week in our prayer. I was reading yesterday because I also was wondering, who started this four weeks of Advent? Uh, why did they pick four weeks? That's a bunch of time. And I found out that back in the ninth century, Pope um, Nicholas, he decided to change it from six weeks, it used to be, to four weeks. I said, oh my God, thank you, Nicholas. That's a lot less time to deal with, but still four weeks. But I think what helps us are these scriptures. And especially today, this is a kind of climactic point right before the birth. And this year, it's the, it's the shortest amount of time that we have between the fourth Sunday and Christmas because the fourth Sunday of Advent is also Christmas Eve. And there's, like, there's no time to decorate. That's why we have our manger scene up already in the trees because uh, we, we don't have any time after that. We've, this evening, we have to celebrate New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, and then tomorrow, all day Christmas. So... Uh, that being said, ask ourselves, why, you know, what is this with the Scriptures? You know, there's only two Gospels that deal with the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. Mark says nothing, not a single word about his birth. And John doesn't really speak of his birth, but that beautiful prologue it begins the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word took on human flesh and was born among us. That's, that's about all that it says about any birthing. But Matthew and Luke tell the story. The trouble is, in the birth story, they're completely different characters. In Luke, there's shepherds and angels singing glory to God in the highest. And in Matthew, there's Herod who wants to kill all the babies under two, and he's questioning the kings who come to see Jesus. So Matthew presents an ominous story, both at his birth and his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whereas Luke doesn't show anything ominous, but joyful. 
there's, there's angels singing to the shepherds, glory to God, the highest, you got to go check this out. This is amazing, this scene. And then at, at the cross scene for Luke, uh, it's not ominous. He says, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. It's so tender and merciful and loving. So that's what we have to deal with. And then there's nothing written at all, except in Luke, one story when Jesus was 12 and got lost and then found in the temple. Other than that, there's not a word said about Jesus from his birth until his baptism by John in the Jordan. So we don't have a whole bunch of material, scripturally speaking. But today, we are enriched with, with things we've heard through Advent already, but this is a nice combination. In the first passage from Samuel, um, God is speaking to David through Nathaniel, and, um, and Nathaniel says, says to, to uh, David, you know, he, he acknowledges, because this is the Davidic line, David, uh, the son of Saul, who's the first one, and then through his line, Jesus is to be born, the Davidic line. So um, David makes this remark. He says to Nathaniel, what am I doing? I'm living in a palace, and God is living in a tent. I should build a house for God. And so Nathaniel says, well, do what you got to do. And then later that night, God speaks to Nathaniel in this story, and he says, you go tell David this. Uh, so you are going to build a house for me? You, David, you're a king, a great king, but you're going to build a house for God? I don't think so. I'll do it for you. I'll build your house, and I'll make you a mighty nation, and I will take care of your heirs. And he doesn't quite say this, but he could say it now in retrospect. And I'm going to create this line that's going to bring about the Messiah. So what are you going to do for me? And this is a very valuable thing for us, I think, during Advent and actually any day of our life as Christian Catholics because, you know, we've been so trained to think that we're doing for God. And, and that's all right that we do out of love because doing something out of love changes us and makes us better. But to think that God gets affected or joy-filled or sad or hurt or angry... And I know the scriptures use that language, not so much I don't think about God, but about us in our relationship with God to think of it that way, because it's really God who does for us. God says to, to uh, David through Nathan, you know, you're not going to build my house, I'm going to build your house. You're going to do nothing for me, I'm going to do for you. And I really think that's the truth. So when we come here for this hour of prayer, for example, we're giving our hearts to God in praise and song and silence and love and the reception of Eucharist, all wonderful. But rather than think what we're doing for God, what is he doing to and for us as we do all of that? One of my favorite quotes I've mentioned many times is from a Meister Eckhart, a Dominican mystic in the 12th century, and he said, if the only thing you say to God ever is thank you, that's enough. That's enough. And I think it's the perfect prayer to acknowledge that God is, at this moment, he's loving us and gracing us and blessing us. And I don't think he turns it off like a spout. I think God loves us always because God is, hello, love, yes, God is love. And especially when we acknowledge our relationship with God, we're in his love. Mary got this. 
but gets it in a very unique way in this story today, the famous Annunciation story. So there is Mary, I presume, in her house, and uh, all of a sudden an angel appears to her. Now, uh, whatever that means, uh, I, we conjure up the, uh, like a human form, maybe some with wings, I don't know, um, an angelic presence, um, and it scares her. It must have been overwhelming. Whatever it was, however she experienced this moment, I can tell you this, if I go back to the rectory today and I'm doing whatever I'm doing and an angel appears to me, I'm going to probably pass out. I'm going to pass out. What do you do? How do you respond to that? So the angel tells her, don't be afraid. And he says to her, hail Mary, hello Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Elizabeth will complete it. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And that's the prayer that we always say to Mary in her honor. So he says to her, um, you know, God is going to bless you, and he's, he's going to make you a mother, and you're going to bring God into the world in the person of Jesus. And, and after she expresses her fear, now she goes to a place of questioning, well, how can this be? I've never been with a man. How can, I, how can this be? And then the angel continues and says, well, God's going to send his spirit upon you, like overshadowing you and filling you with grace. And this is what's going to come about. You're going to give this child to us, this child. And after the angel explains it this way, Mary just simply accepts it. She goes on such a fast journey of faith, from fear to questioning and doubt to total acceptance. And her final response is, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Do with me whatever you will. And then it says, then, after she said that, then the angel left her. What, a, what an incredible journey she makes. And really, this is the Advent journey, I think, for us. The only difference is, I think, that we come at it with a, a known history, and then with this experience of four weeks, which is in a sense kind of artificial. We keep lighting a candle, welcoming more light, because liturgically we're trying to unwrap this gift. But I think the preface today says it beautifully. And in Advent there are two prefaces. The first one, we're supposed to use it from the first day of Advent, first Sunday of Advent, until the 16th. And then on the 17th, we go to preface number two of Advent because it gets much more focused around this. And this is what it says. After the Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, blah, 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 the introduction. Then it says this about what Advent is about. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, that is Jesus, the virgin mother longed for him with love beyond all telling. John the Baptist sang of his coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. That's past. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. Mary longed for his coming, and John the Baptist sang and, and foretold his presence among them. Then it says what we do in the present. Now, knowing that past, Mary longed for him, John the Baptist proclaimed him. We know that history. So we are in a very different place than, say, if we live next door to Mary or John the Baptist. He's singing the praises of Jesus who is to come, the Messiah. Mary is, is longing for him as she's pregnant and waiting to give birth. 
And if we were a neighbor to either of them, we, we'd look at it and, oh, okay, uh, she's pregnant. Uh-huh. Oh, well, he's talking about someone coming, whatever. But we wouldn't really understand it, I don't think. But we understand it. 2,000 years later. This is my 73rd year of celebrating Christmas, although the first three I probably didn't even know what it was. But this is a long time of celebrating this scene. And this year, moved here for all kinds of reasons, but it's right there in front of us, to the side, but in front of us. The only thing is, as someone remarked to one of the sacraments yesterday, where's the baby Jesus? And I said, I'm not born yet. Hello. That's not till tomorrow. In two days. So uh, we come to the empty crib, and we know what that means. We know what we're expecting. We know what Mary expected, what John was proclaiming. So this is what the preface says about us right now. It is by his gift, Jesus' gift, that already, right now, we rejoice at the mystery of the nativity so that he may find us, and this is what the prayer says, Jesus, so he can find us this way, watchful in prayer and exultant in his praise. And there's the Advent mystery, that we would ponder this, open ourselves to this. And many like to say, and I like to say it too, you know, this is the one time that we men can talk about our being pregnant. Um, well, not materially or physically, but all of us are supposed to have Christ in us in a way that we birth him in the world. And, and, and it's made more manifest every time we come to the Eucharist because we actually eat the body of Christ in Eucharist. We eat the Eucharistic food. And we say now, Christ is within me. Christ is within me. And the birthing of Christ is by the way that we live our gospel life, that we follow his example, that we speak his very words, that we can forgive like he forgave on the cross. Every time we do any of that, we're birthing Christ in the world. And that's the way that we proclaim it. That's the way that we make Christ present and real for others as well as for ourselves. So on this last Sunday, very short Sunday of Advent, that turns into the very Christmas Eve that we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow, we welcome Christ the light. And not until tonight, but tonight we will do it. We will light that center candle, the white candle, which is the symbol of Christ. And we will welcome him as the light of the world, as the Prince of Peace, as the one, the word, who was to come and took on human flesh and lived among us. Please stand. And let us, once again, renew our promise.